buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm very excited today to have Samantha McKenna on. Uh, She's the CEO of Sam Sales Consulting, an award-winning sales leader, brand ambassador for LinkedIn, angel investor, board member, and highly sought-after speaker. She has broken nearly 15 sales records, believes great sales are rooted in exceptional manners, and consistently looks for uh, opportunities to continue growing the company's efforts. Uh, McKenna, uh, Samantha, Sam McKenna, Sam Sales, <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Colin. I always blush when I hear that, that introduction, but um, but thanks for the kind words. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you've accomplished a lot. And uh, so, you know, I think that people need to know like, hey, why the heck should I listen to Sam? And there's <laughs> lots of reasons why they should hear what you have to say today. So take us back a little bit, just give us Sam's sales story. Um, and let's sort of take it from there. And then we've um, planned out a very interesting topic for folks today, which I'm excited to get into. Yeah, I think something really interesting about my past is how I got into sales was actually through the 2008 um, fury of layoffs that happened. So when our, our mm. economy was kind of in a crisis, I got I got laid off, which I thought was like, just the, the dirtiest thing ever. I was like, oh, I can't tell anyone that this happened. Um, mm. And I, but one of the things that paid off here is during the, my very short stint at this company, um, I had built some executive relationships with the clients of ours. And one of that was the CEO of a company here in the DC area um, called Higher Strategy. It was a recruiting company. It was really, really successful. So I had reached out to that CEO who I had lunch with. Uh, and said, you know, I just got laid off. So unfortunately, we can't meet anymore. Of course, I knew exactly what I was doing. And he was like, I run a recruiting company, come and have lunch anyway, we will find you a job. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and I fell into sales that way. That was the very first offer I got. Um, actually, I got an offer to be a recruiter first. And then I said, I don't think that's for me. Um, but then got an offer for sales. And something that I found that was interesting was 
I turned down that job, which ended up being really pivotal. I ended up taking it. And then I also turned down uh, the job when I got offered my first job at LinkedIn. I turned that as well. Uh, so it's interesting, like two of the most pivotal roles that I've had in my career, I actually said no to. Maybe I shouldn't trust my gut that much um, the first time around. Uh, and then I've been in sales now for about 15 years, uh, enterprise sales my entire career, which um, as everybody knows, is a, is a whole different beast. Mm, yeah. So I'm curious, before you got into sales, what was the plan? Like, what were you, you know, what did you go to school for? Or what were you, you know, working in at that time? Or what was the plan? Because yeah, sales is I, always typically people's fallback plan. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I will say it's like, I didn't even have a plan. Um, I went to Florida State for college. I changed my major five times. I thought I wanted to be a child psychologist. And thank God I didn't go that route. Um, but the, you know, I had just, um, just started a career a little bit in financial services. So helping um, military members figure out their finances, financial literacy. And then when I, I was abroad for a while, when I moved back to the States, moved to DC, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I was really passionate about financial literacy, but I knew I was passionate about it from my perspective of working um, from a nonprofit angle, not from a profit for me, you know, and helping other people. So I just started to think about what did I want to do? And that was that first role that I got. Um, I think I was a marketing coordinator and uh, I literally lasted for like six months. I My role significantly changed during uh, at that company. And I said, you know, I think, we need a title change. I think I need a salary change. And then um, HR booked a meeting with me at three o'clock on a Friday. And I was like, this is fabulous. I'm going to go into the weekend hearing about my raise, hearing about my title change. And they were like, no, we're making cuts and you're one of them. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so there, there was no plan. And then sales, just like you said, I, I fell into sales. That was the, not even the plan, but just what came, came along first. Mm, and then you said that you, Two of your pivotal roles you turned down the first time. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. What, I think, like, you know, it's, yeah. people have a hard time turning down a job, especially at me, some of the companies that you mentioned. So I'm just curious, what was the thinking behind that? I bet that I had the same perspective of Satin Sales, which is it's dirty, grimy, sleazy. You're going to mm. hustle people into buying things for your own financial benefit. You know, um, it felt like uh, multi-level marketing to me. Yeah. You know, I was like, Colin, please buy this face product for me so that I can pay my mortgage. And I'm like, I'm really just robbing you to pay myself. And that's what sales felt like to me. And, you know, that's why I turned it down the first time. Cause I was like, I don't want to cold call. I don't want to mm. push people into buying stuff. No, thanks. And the, the company came back and they said, listen, you don't need to do any of that. Like we want you to be an account manager for starters. You'll work with our existing clients. You'll support them. You'll help them. And I was like, Oh, and I, I very wisely and aggressively negotiated for an extra $5,000 in salary, which I got. And I thought that I was, you know, the, the best negotiator on the planet back at that time. Um, but that was the, the first one of saying no. And I think what was interesting when I got in that role, which, um, you know, really changed the, the lens for me about sales was that this is about helping people. You know, our buyers aren't getting on the phone with us for their health because they have time, because they're bored, because we sent them a, you know, good message. They're getting on the phone with us because they have a challenge. They have an issue. They have pain points. They want to do something yeah. different, right? That's why they're talking to us. So I think that's the thing that I love about sales the most. We get to do that. And then on the flip side, you know, I spent a career in sales. I spent about half my career as an IC. Then I moved to the executive ranks. Um, I finished, you know, being a VP of sales uh, when I got recruited away by LinkedIn. And they said, you need to come work for us. You know, you're so passionate about the platform, the company, Sales Navigator. 
And I remember going for one of my interviews and I went to the uh, the cafeteria at the Langdon office in San Francisco. And it, it was like the first day of high school at like a 5,000 person high school. It was teeming with people. And I thought, <laughs> I'm never going to stand out here. No one's ever going to know my name. I'm never going to be able to get promoted because there's so many people here. And so I, tr- I turned the offer down um, during the holidays, in fact, of 2018. Um, and it's interesting because after I turned down the job, um, I'll, I'll say uh, John Mayhall uh, was a lead- the leader I was interviewing with. And he called and he said, you know, why? And I told him and he was like, I have a different perspective. He's like, come to New York, you know, let's talk. Um, and then let's figure out how to get you here. And then, um, yeah. And then introduced me to my, my, uh, eventual boss, Matt Loop, who's now a GM of APAC uh, for Slack and got me, got me over there. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so what was the experience yeah. there? I'm guessing it was very different than what you thought it was going to be. I think be that, you know, you initially well, turned for anyone down. who thinks that um, you also have to have faith in yourself of what you bring to the table and the person that you are. So status quo for me is, is never, it's not a thing that exists, you know, coming in to do the job that I am paid to do and to do it well, isn't enough for me. And it, it never will be, yeah. um, you know, probably hence the, hence the record breaking. Um, but so I came in, I thought, okay, how can I make a difference? What does this organization need? Um, one of the first things that we built was a, a true enterprise team. So while we had enterprise and mid-market together, we realized very quickly we needed to separate those out. So I built our enterprise team for the New York office. Um, and then the other thing was, where where else can I be of help? And I found one of the things was that while at, there are so many users of LinkedIn at LinkedIn, there wasn't a strong voice from LinkedIn on LinkedIn. So I had already built the Sam Sales brand, you know, talking about sales tactics, talking about things that you can do as a leader. And I thought, well, this is an easy way that I can stand out. Then I started to say, you know, where else can we make impact? Um, how else can I help impact culture, peer-to-peer learning? Um, we started a great program called the Three Minute Wow, 3M Wow, I think is what we called it, um, where we basically brought people, sales reps from around the country, from different business mm-hmm. lines to say, here, I closed an amazing deal. Here's how I did it. You know, we've all been on those calls where it's like, Sam, tell us about that deal. And Sam's like, oh my gosh, it was tough. And, you know, procurement was terrible and this and that, but we finally got it. Everyone's like, you're amazing. And I'm like, what did you even do to close it though? How did it happen? How? Right. So we built programs like that. Um, so it was more just yeah. relying on myself that I, I knew that fitting in wasn't the key for me. It was, I knew that I was going to figure out a way to stand out. And had I been a little bit more confident in myself that I do that, no matter what size organization I worked in, um, I probably would have said yes the first time around. Yeah. So how can sales reps today take, you know, sort of that experience, your experience there and stand out in their organization if they're in a big organization or if they're trying to maybe they're on the path of the track to get into enterprise sales? What can they do to I go above you and really seller, stand there out is nothing inside else their organization? truly matters at the end of the day other than hitting the quota requirements that you have. Plain and simple. So whether you're a BDR and you're hitting supposed to hit quota, whether you have a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar quota, you know, as a mid market mm-hmm. rep or enterprise rep, all that matters first and foremost is that that's what we pay you for, right? That's what your salary is there for. That's why we pay you benefits. It's to hit that number. So for anyone who's like, well, you know what? I'm at eighty percent of my quota, but what I'm actually going to do instead is going to create a birthday club to make people feel valued. 
No one's paying you to do that. That's lovely. And I've done that and I'm all for it. You know, I'm, I'm as squishy and touchy feely as it gets. Um, but what really matters first is you hit your quota. So for sales reps that want to get promoted, want to get to leadership, make sure you are doing that consistently in a meaningful way, selling the products that your company cares about first, right? Make sure you can do that in your sleep. Then let's think about how do you stand out and how you stand out is by tackling the things that your leaders or your leaders' leaders are really focused on. So that might be, you know, um, how do we build a better culture? That might be lack of attrition. That might be um, shorter ramp times for our new hires. Uh, but find out what those things are. Talk to your boss. How are you measured? What can I do to stand out? What are you hearing your leaders say um, that they want to see impact around? How can you and I me as the peer and uh, me as the, the report and you as the leader do that together, right? If you start to have those conversations with your leadership, not only are you going to make your boss look really good, which is part of your job, but it's also going to make it really easy for them to talk about the great things you're doing on top of what you're doing as a performer. But first, make sure you can hit your number because again, no one's going to promote an 83% birthday club or starter. Um, that's wise. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit because we all yeah. know. So I think a couple things, one, from a leadership perspective, we've got to make sure that our, our uh, expectations are realistic. And uh, probably the, the most frequent conversation we have with, with individuals, we were just talking to a company yesterday who um, is not very well known um, and their BDRs are required to book six outbound meetings a week. Holy stromboli, like this just not happening. And so I think it's always good to just level set and look at other organizations. You know, at LinkedIn for our SDRs, there was an 11 yeah. meeting requirement on a monthly basis. That's LinkedIn. Everybody knows LinkedIn, right? So number one, just make sure that your quotas are realistic. Number two, for reps, when you're thinking about yeah. your number, what I would advise you and how I've always been so consistently successful is I figure out how to hit my number by myself. Um, so I look at that, let's say million dollar quota on January 1st and say right out of the gate. And I'm thinking, what's the math that I have to do in order to be able to close a million dollars? I also try to think about closing that million dollars by the 31st of October by Halloween. So then I have two months, right, to not put my feet up, but to punch the gas of printing money. Like that's, that's what I'm here to do, right, is to make a ton of money. So work backwards. It's figure out how many calls do you have to make? How many social touches? How do you engage with people? How do you track job changes? What is it that you do to make sure that you can build that pipeline all by yourself? And then when your BDRs book meetings for you, when inbound comes in, when a webinar, you know, the one off the rafters gets you some lead, icing, icing, icing on the cake. This is where I think we fail so often is that we rely but our marketers and our BDRs to get us the meetings. Every time I hear a rep says that says marketing isn't doing enough for me and neither are our BDRs, I'm like, they shouldn't do anything for you. Let's pretend that they don't exist. Just go chase that number yourself. The other thing I would say is, you know, for every person listening, that's yeah. like, you make it sound so easy. Do you know how hard it is to build pipeline? Yeah, I totally do. I built a business from scratch without marketing, without BDRs, without any of that, right? Just relying on my own sales tactics. So for Sam Sales, we've been around for two and a half years or so now. We have 135 clients, 135 clients. And I'm, you know, for a long time, I was a one woman show um, in terms of our, our sales efforts. 
and doing the business. So it can be done. Just need to be smart. So think less about the tactics from the past. You know, don't make 100 dials a day. Instead, think about really quality, show me, you know me emails, what we talk about all the time. Think about social selling. Think about connecting on the platform. Think about engaging with your buyers. Think about making sales navigator lists that actually help you, right? That's that's the stuff that's going to really matter. And make sure that you hit your number. You don't have to work all that hard to hit your pipeline goals by yourself. Uh, I absolutely love that so much. I think that so many reps are not thinking of it that way. They're not, they are relying too heavily on marketing and on their SDRs or BDRs to build their pipeline. So you're saying pretend like that doesn't exist and do your own sales math of what is it going to take for me to hit quota by October if I have to self-source all of my deals and then anything else is icing on the cake. But on the flip side too, from a sales leader, like are the quotas realistic, right? So let's assume that they are, then reps need to be more responsible for sourcing their own deals is what you're saying. Totally. We want to make sure, right, as an organization that we are feeding our reps. So we want to make sure that that inbound demand gen is happening. We want to make sure that those BDRs are hitting their numbers. We candidly, you know, I I would love to have so much demand for our reps that's quality that they never have to do anything from a pipeline sourcing perspective. Reps are really, really expensive. So if I'm paying a rep one hundred and thirty dollars or $150,000 base salary, which happens all day, every day now, do I really want that person prospecting? No, I don't want them cold calling. I don't want them doing things like that. But what I want them doing is being smart about how they engage. I want them to be social sellers. I want them yeah. to send 10 emails a day that have show me, you know me and show themselves in our company to be reputable, smart, not gross and aggressive and you know cheesy. That's the kind of stuff that I want to focus on as a leader. But I think the other thing to think about is look also at your top performers. So we've been talking about this with a few of the organizations we work with who are like, how, how do we give our top performers more perks? You know, we can give them higher percentages for, um, you know, payouts. We can do things like that. But what else do we do? And one of the things that I think of is your, you know, five to 10% of your sales team that when you look at them, you're like, they are phenomenal in front of clients. Get them another BDR. Get them a BDR that they split between two of them, right? Have a BDR dedicated to that person so they don't spend a minute of their day truly prospecting. But the only thing they're doing is being in front of clients and chasing and advancing deals. Because when you have reps like that that are exceptional, right? We want to make sure that division of labor is also right. And that the only thing that they're doing is spending their time in front of making a dent to our revenue instead of doing admin duties. Get them an EA, get somebody to create their proposals for them, get somebody to upload things in Salesforce for them so they never have to. Think of the perks of not just money, but how to help them make more money by making them more effective at their jobs. Yeah, letting them stay in the lane that they you know do best in. Yeah. I, I, you know, as a rep, I, I killed it as a rep. And I think about the nights and the weekends that I would spend trying to do the things that I was supposed to do for my company as well, right? Creating those proposals, making sure that these decks were updated, making sure Salesforce was updated. If they had said, you're just doing such a great job, we want to take this off of your shoulders to give you your nights and weekends back, which we probably think you're going to spend prospecting and chasing more clients anyway. Yeah. I mean, what, what loyalty that would have bred for me. Yeah. Then you could actually, you know, do, put the birthday club together. 
<laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Still, I still did that. That happened at two in the morning. I never slept, Colin. All right. So we said we were going to touch on a topic today, and I think it's a good time to dig into this, right? So what yeah. what are some things that you're seeing with reps today where, you know, they're not representing the company in the best way or coming off as rude or pushy or too salesy or you name it. Um, let's dig into that a yeah. little bit. You, I think this reinforces what you talked about uh, with me in my introduction, that my sales tactics are rooted in good manners. And so I just think about, you know, when we are engaging with our buyers, when we're prospecting and we're doing things like that, are we showing ourselves to be human? Are we showing ourselves to be polished, sophisticated, intelligent, or are we showing ourselves to be gimmicky? You know, and I think there's a lot of gimmicks out there where we can send emails to people that say, uh, hey, Sam, looks like you uh, just hired a VP of sales. Um, Would you be opposed to talking to us about, you know, uh, increasing her onboarding time or increasing her, decreasing her ramp time? using tactics like that, where it's just like, would you be opposed to, or like we help companies like yours, these three direct competitors to us. To me, there's nothing really that helps me. And what I want to think about is like, what is the specific value that you drive? I also don't want to know that you're helping my competitors because honestly, then you're going to teach me what you're teaching them. And then I'm going to be using the same competitive strategies that they are. So that doesn't help me either. But just think about when, when you do your reach out, you know, are you just being human? Hey, Colin, I saw these things about you. I connect with them on you. I connect with you on them. I love these posts that you may care some thoughts about that. However, the real reason for my outreach is I'd love to talk to you about Sam Sales and how we can help your organization, right? Honest, transparent human. I think the other thing is just keep in mind that there are a lot of people who are going to do you two courtesies. There are the Sam McKenna's and the Kyle Coleman's of the world who are going to respond often to your really, really bad emails. <laughs> and we're going to give you some pointers and we're going to say, hey, some unsolicited, like this doesn't work for us. We don't need this. If I can offer you some unsolicited advice, here's where the email doesn't hit home. So I will say just real quick there, when we do that, um, be mindful of that. We're taking our time out of our day as sales Mm. leaders and experts to give you some advice. And so when you get that, just say thanks. Be like, okay, no worries that this doesn't work for you. Thanks for the advice. I appreciate it. Because nobody really does that except for Kyle and I. And then the other thing to think about, I just had this the other day, somebody reached out. I said, hey, can I give you some advice? And then she reached back out and said, thanks for the advice. Um, you know, here's, here's my counter to that. Can you tell me where I went wrong? You know, et cetera. So I am now giving her free advice twice. Mm. And so I wrote her back, gave her a whole rhetoric and no response back. No, wow. thank you. No, I appreciate the time. So just think about that for the rest of the world, for those very few people that respond and say, thanks, but no thanks, just respond. Thank you for responding to my email. Thank you for giving me the no. I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn so we can stay in touch in case this is helpful. But the amount of times that I write back and I just say, hey, thanks. Thanks. Anyway, this isn't a fit for us. Even to good emails, I don't don't hear a word back. It immediately triggers me to think this person doesn't care truly about us. They don't care about the long game. They are selfishly just driven for their one thing. And that's it. And I, that, that puts a bad taste in my mouth right away. Yeah, And it's, it's, um, I get a lot of messages more so on LinkedIn and I give people feedback as well. Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't get as many emails for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I get tons of bad outreach on LinkedIn. Um, and I tend to give people feedback too. And some people do say thank you and you're like, Hey, they really appreciated it. And they actually are you know, yeah. open to growing and changing and doing things differently. 
Um, because here's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't maybe considering is, okay, so maybe somebody sends you an email, Sam, and whatever it is that they do, you don't need at this point and it's not relevant, but how they yeah. handle that interaction, lack of response or, you know, at some point, if it is relevant, they've basically exactly. already ruined all of the rapport that they could have built with you. You know, we've all been oh, there before longer. writing bad messages. We don't, you know, not everybody writes great messages from day one in sales. So if somebody takes time to give you some feedback, you know, at least show that you appreciate it because at some point what you do may be relevant to Sam or to somebody else in Sam's network. And depending on how you handle that interaction, it could be a referral. It could be a future relationship. I mean, you've basically ruined any chance of ever doing any business together uh, by just being rude <laughs> and ungrateful. You bet. You got it. Yeah, it's exactly right. And I, I think the interesting thing, especially when you're reaching out to someone like me, or you're reaching out to people who are in influential roles or consultants that have access to massive networks, you want to think about something. One, you anything that you need to connect with me is basically available on the internet, right? You can listen to hundreds of hours of my content, God forbid, but you know a lot about me. Even if you spend two minutes on my profile, you can show me, you know me, your buns off and probably guarantee yourself that I'll, I'll respond. We very, very, very rarely get that. And if we do get it, it's like, hey, I see you worked for LinkedIn. Do you want to buy my stuff? And I'm like, no. Um, so there's that. The other thing is you're by emailing someone like me or by emailing an influential VP or something like that, you're not just asking for a product fit for me. You're asking for a product fit for anybody I know. Yeah, exactly. You have 135 clients, you have 35,000 followers on LinkedIn, right? There's probably someone I know that could use your product. So take two minutes, show me you know me, make an authentic connection, do some research, tell me specifically what you do, not the 30,000 foot level. We hope you, uh, you know, demand, create demand and close it 38% faster. I, don't, I have no idea what you do. Video yeah. platform, CRM, EA, BDR, what are you? Tell me specifically what you do. And let's see if I can't find somebody who can buy from you or wants to take a meeting with you, even if it's not us. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And I'll and, do and that, I, you know, because I think good begets good. So I'll do that. And I think that I think what I see part of the problem is, is reps just take it so damn personally that like, that I, know. <laughs> I don't need what you are selling. Like it has nothing to do with you. It's just, it's me. It's not relevant. I don't need it. It's not, you know, eh, that's all it is. And I think a lot of people just have a really hard time taking it personally. And more so if they did take if some time personalizing it, but in most cases they don't. Um, but I think yeah, that's part it, of it. Or they exactly. feel embarrassed when they get the feedback. And it's like, well, wait till you, if you're, if you're um, not resilient about getting turned down for a product, wait till you sell yourself uh, and you get turned down. That's the, that's the, the real um, demoralizing part. You know what I would say though? Like uh, also just think about, I would have killed as an individual contributor. When I got my start, I would have killed for people like Kyle, like myself, like Amy Volis, Scott Lease, people who are out there giving you free advice, right? Like the, what yeah. an impact that would have made to me early in my sales career. So when you do get that feedback, when somebody like us does respond and say, let me just give you some pointers, just reflect, right? And say, oh, do they have a point? Can I adjust? Like, I'm, I'm so eager to learn how to do my game better. Even at this stage of my career, there's so much I can improve on. I'm just, I'm waiting and dying for somebody to give me some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not, if you can't get on board with getting turned down and hearing no and receiving feedback, 
sales is probably not for you and you may want to reconsider <laughs> something else. You got to build that resiliency some, so at some point or no, or get out if you can't take the heat as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciated learning a little bit more about you and um, diving into this topic for sellers. I think there's a lot to learn for them. Any final thoughts and where's the best place for people to get into the world of Sam sales? Yeah. Thanks for having me. You guys, um, please feel free to say hello on LinkedIn. Of course, samsalesconsulting.com is where you can find so many resources, but we have a really great newsletter that goes out every Friday. Um, pretty funny if I do say so myself. So come sign up and join us uh, there. And then if you can't get enough, uh, just pop over to shorts.samsalesconsulting.com. And we've got tons of video subscriptions to teach you everything that's in my head. Again, God forbid, but hopefully that'll help you a little bit. Yeah. Or feel free to send you a shitty email and wait for some feedback. That <laughs> <laughs> I won't respond to, uh, yeah. but bring it, bring on the show me, you know me. I promise to respond to those. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. If you enjoyed the episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. And we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.